It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everyone. It's Jimmy, Brandon, and Steve with you for episode 64 of Across the Romaverse. Uh, we're recording on a Sunday night, which is uh, rare for us. So we're actually just a few hours after the match ended at the Olympico, a 0-0 draw between Roma and Napoli. We'll talk about if that was a good result, bad result, indifferent kind of result later on. But uh, it'd be, you know, I guess negligent of us not to at least talk about in the buildup to this match, uh, the firestorm that was surrounding Roma after Thursday's 6-1 uh, I don't know if we could even call it a defeat, guys. I mean, this was like a debacle at the hands of Bodo, who I'd never heard of before we drew them in the U- UEFA Conference League, that grand competition we're in. And, I mean, I've seen 7-1 Manchester United was the first one I remember at Old Trafford. I was in college. Uh, I remember watching that match. I was in Barcelona, actually, on, as, on my spring break from my study abroad. And I remember being one of, like, two Roma fans in this bar watching it. Uh, not a lot of fun. And then since then, I've seen, you know, Barca, I think, 6 nothing. I think, you know, Byron's put six on us. Um, the, the first leg against Liverpool uh, in uh, the European stage, not even to mention Fiorentina. So, but this one, I mean, this might be the worst one in some ways just because of the competition. But, I mean, I, I only saw the first 40 minutes, so I only suffered through 2-1. But, I, Brandon, did you get to watch the whole match? I know Jimmy mentioned earlier he got didn't see any of it, lucky for him. Uh, so I'm kind of in a similar boat to you. I, um, I got caught up and, um, missed most of the game and I turned it off. I turned it on when it was four, one. And it's, I would say probably like 20 seconds into me turning on, it was five, one. And then I looked away for a second, looked at my phone again and it was six, one. And I was like, Oh my God, the, the, I'm, <laughs> I didn't see the other four. Um, 
but yeah, so I'm similar boat as you with that one. Yeah. And Jim, I mean, I, I, you, you said you were on a job interview. You told me before, I mean, I just hope your job interview went better than this match went for Roma on Thursday. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I certainly hope so. I don't, I don't think I, uh, I don't know what our policy is on foul language, but I, I don't think that we, uh, we, I did as bad a job as uh, Roma did against Bodo. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. Uh, and I mean, just reading some of the post-match stuff from that, it was obvious that everyone had a various, had various responses to it. Uh, Mourinho was pretty harshly criticizing the boys though. Yeah. I, I mean, Mourinho's talked about his lack of depth multiple times this year, going into the Juve game, going into other matches where he says, you know, Allegri can turn to Chiellini when Delict is out, or he can turn to DeShilio if Alexandro's out and, and things like that. And, he says, I have my 12, 13 guys, and then we don't have much depth. And, you know, we're all sitting here, I'm sure, to some extent, kind of rolling our eyes like, okay, this isn't Manchester United. This isn't your Galacticos Real Madrid side you've managed. You know, this is more of a budget side, so to speak, even though Rome is a, a fairly large club, they're still on a budget. And, you know, Pinto did a lot of work to kind of shape the roster for him this summer. But, I mean, this match in, in many ways showed us why I think he talks the way he does about his his lack of depth. He made nine changes, only Rui Patricio and um, Ibanez are from the quote unquote regular 11. Even Shimordov started this one from the bench. If, if I recall correctly, it was El Shirari really the only other regular player that got a start here who gets regular minutes uh, actually captained the side in this one. That shows how many of the regulars were on the bench. But um, I mean, what can we say about th those guys that were on the pitch, Jim? Uh, yeah, I mean, okay, so first of all, I think that it's it's hard to provide any caveats to this much of a beatdown. So here goes. Um, I, I think that for some of these guys, I'm not, you know, just completely selling all of my stock in them just yet, particularly Kambula and Reynolds. I know that they had pretty poor matches in particular, but for both of them, I don't think that in the long run – we should just use this as an excuse to think that they have nothing to provide for to the club. Uh, for some of the guys who have been around the club for much longer and who are theoretically far more experienced, though, this definitely makes me think that they wasted their one chance to get in Mourinho's good graces. So, for example, you know, Diawara, VR, Mayoral, those are players who were not thought of as, you know, up-and-comers in the way that Kumbola and Reynolds are, but they came in and, you know, played an absolute stinker of a match and given that I mean I wouldn't be surprised to see them here and there just because you know injuries are going to happen in between now and the January Mercato and the June Mercato like that's just a fact of life but I don't think it's a mistake that Mourinho sent a lot of them to the stands against Napoli uh I I don't think that Mayoral at this point is like anything close to what we would want for a third striker long-term. I, I was hoping that he could be that guy. I was, I was thinking he could be a second or even a first striker, depending before we got Tammy Abraham. But uh, from what I've seen of him this season, uh, him with VR and DOR, yeah, I, I can understand why Mourinho is so against playing them in any match with real significance. Yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, Brandon, did you get to see Mourinho's pre-match pre press conference uh, quotes yesterday or post-match after the Bodo match? Because I, I don't know what to make of these guys' future, a lot of them. Yeah, I actually was going to ask you guys, where on the aisle do you fall in terms of whether his comments post-game was appropriate or not? 
because for me, I, I, I get it. I'm kind of leaning more towards, you know, what Mourinho is saying. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a, too much of a problem. He didn't really name anybody by name. He kind of grouped them all together, but sometimes I think a club does need a, a kick in the rear end. I mean, I was really disappointed because these are eight or I, I won't say nine guys because the nine changes weren't all guys that don't get playing time. El Shari does get playing time, but you know, seven, eight of these guys are really looking to carve out a place in the team. And they had a chance to do that. And, and nobody really stood out. Carlos Pettis scored a pretty nice goal on a ball from Diawara. But other than that, there wasn't much positive to take away from it. You know, I didn't get to see too many of the Bodo goals because I stopped watching at 2-1, like I mentioned. But, you know, Max Kambula, we spent a lot of money on this guy. He's a guy who right now is smalling out as the third center back. And, you know, you would expect maybe there'd be minutes against like a Cagliari or in some of these other conference league matches. But now, I mean... He, he, he didn't do anything to do himself any favors. Neither did VR, Mayoral, uh, Diwara. So I, I do think the comments, they, they could go one of two ways. It could either go really bad, really fast, or, you know, it could motivate some of them. But I think the result today helps keep those comments in context. And maybe the dressing room doesn't go completely up in arms because they didn't go and lose to Napoli. But we'll, we'll see because Tottenham, apparently this happened where, he lost the dressing room. Hopefully that doesn't happen here in Rome because it seems like they were building a pretty tight knit squad. Yeah. Personally, I mean, just to tack onto that, Steve, I don't, I don't see this as like an, a way that I don't see this turning into a situation where Mourinho loses the dressing room. If anything, I think it's pretty probably just as frustrating to the guys who are in that core 13 that he keeps on playing that they couldn't get a match off against like a no name team in Norway. Like I remember seeing video before the match of, uh, Mancini walking around the pitch and it's like snowing, you know, barely above freezing. And you hear somebody's voice and you, I think it was Mancini saying something along the lines of like, you know, the reason why we are here is because we had such a piece of garbage, uh, you know, performance um, in the season prior. Like he readily admitted it and seemed pretty grouchy about it. So I think that it's probably clear to the players who have really been, you know, sweating a lot over the course of this, these past two months to make this team a top four team that, you know, the guys who were called up against Bodo couldn't do it against Bodo when, you know, the guys who normally are getting called up can hold their own against Juventus against Napoli and like against Lazio. Like I don't see this causing locker room problems simply because it's so apparent, you know, this gulf in quality between the starting 11 plus maybe two or three subs and the rest. And one other thing I would bring up that I think that somebody in the comments section on one of our articles brought up that I thought was interesting was I don't think we would be noticing these problems as much if we were stuck with three subs um, like we have been for most seasons. So the fact that there are five subs going on now, I mean, I feel like that just puts any squad's lack of depth on fuller, on more full display uh, than the, because the fact is like what Mourinho usually has 13 or 14 players that he in like would prefer to play. Right. And so that's the starting 11 plus two. And then you could say, okay, well, if you have three subs, you have two guys like that. And then maybe one project guy, whether that's Reynolds or, you know, some Primavera player, um, given that, you know, it wouldn't be that surprising to still have the same size of squad as we currently do, but not see a lot of these guys on a regular basis when we don't need them. And so I do wonder how much the fact that we now have five subs, uh, is impacting 
how deep we think of our squad. Yeah. And Mourinho, he started to take a little more of the blame at his pre-match press conference yesterday. He didn't completely deflect it away from the players, but he did take some of the blame. So he was asked by a journalist specifically about Kumbula, Diwar, and Perez because they cost the club more than 70 million euros. And he was asked what mistakes were made. Why are a few players not up to the task for, of playing for Roma? And could some of them improve and eventually become a useful option for the future? So as I was reading his press conference yesterday, a couple hours after the fact when I was doing the problems, some of these quotes are pretty interesting. And he said, first and foremost, I don't really want to respond to specific players like you have done by mentioning Kambula and Perez, but I will take the opportunity to say something because I can already tell with the press conference going in the direction it is that the question will come eventually. There are a lot of people who are laughing at what they have done to Roma. He doesn't say specifically who uh, they are, but we can start to imagine with the rest of this quote. The Freakins inherited a situation where a lot of mistakes were made by others. Tiago Pinto inherited it too. The ownership have spent a lot of uh, money in order to try and resolve the many mistakes made by people who are laughing. And some of them are almost certainly laughing with their pockets full of money too. You are right. Lots of money has been spent. We have spent money in order to try and clean some things up and to create the right conditions for a successful project to be built, a project that needs time. When someone writes something like Mourinho is not happy with the ownership, then it is a lie. You can hardly come up with a bigger lie. Does Mourinho want more players? Yes, Mourinho does, like every other coach does. Does Mourinho want a balanced squad with two players for each position, with two players at the same level so he can rotate and make five changes on the hour mark every game? Yes, but Mourinho is not an asshole. Mourinho has a huge amount of respect for the Freakins and for Tiago, and he decided to accept this job with Roma exactly because he understood what the situation involved. Above all else, a result like that against Bodo happens once in a lifetime, and it could even have finished 7 or 8-1 if we had played 5 or 10 more minutes. But the only one responsible for that is me, not the players, not the ownership, not Tiago. It's mine and mine alone because I decided to put out a team that risked losing the game. Obviously, I did not think it would be such a disaster, but the responsibility is mine. I did it with the right intentions because of fears about injuries, because of fears about the synthetic pitch, because of fears about the weather and fears about all the games we've played and the fears that we have about not having two players for every position. I did it because I was thinking that we then have games against Napoli, Cagliari, and Milan to prepare for, and I got it wrong. The, the responsibility is mine and mine alone, not the players, not the ownership. It's mine. So, I mean, a lot in that one quote to a question that wasn't even really asked directly in that context. So, <laughs> I mean, Brandon, who are they? I think we could make some assumptions. We could do some inferencing here, like I teach my third graders. Um, <laughs> but what do you what do you make of that quote? Yes, I mean, yeah, it, it has to be you know either Monchi or Pelota, and I would guess the former uh, more so than the latter, um, just because of how disastrous his one window was. There's one main window was, um, but yeah, I don't. It's it's also you know it's kind of. He's, he's backtracking a little bit from, um, you know, how fiery he came out following the loss. Um, so you wonder if it's a matter of self-reflection or, if, you know, um, got the message upstairs from the Freakins um, to kind of rein it in a little bit. But um, no, I mean, I think I think, you know, the the this um, pre-match presser juxtaposed against um, Thursday's one. Um, obviously immediately after a six, one drubbing, you're going to, um, you're going to be a little furious and, um, you know, not be as measured, measured in what you're saying as you normally would be. And I think having some time to process and, um, you know, look at the context of the situation, which, yeah, he's right. It's like, 
you know, it's, it's kind of like a freak result. And, um, um, you know, you, you have these players going to the, to the very Northern point of Norway and in, in freezing temperatures for the first time this season, um, putting out a squad, mostly of players who, um, haven't played this much and let alone together. So, um, you know, I, I think him being able to reflect on that probably resulted in his comments today where, um, you know, the, the, the players did suck on Thursday, but also you put them out there, um, in certain conditions. And so I think, um, the, the comments that we got today are probably more in line with, with what he actually feels. Yeah. What about, what do you take from those comments, Jim? Yeah, I think that I would probably put that both on as to who he's talking about. I think he's probably talking about both Monchi and Pelota because he brings up, I feel like the fact that he talks the most about like the Friedkins more than anything else in that quote kind of implies to me that he's also talking about ownership issues. And I mean, if you remember anything from the Pelota era, era it's that the director of sport never seemed to actually know what Pelota wanted out of a transfer window. Like it seemed like there was always poor communication there. I think that's pretty much why Petrocki left in the first place um, or got fired rather, because it seemed like there was no actual communication going on. And one constant with the Freakins does seem like A, there's been serious investment and B, there has been communication of what the plan is to Tiago Pinto, to Mourinho and you know to the other major players in the, in the club, whether that's Pellegrini or Zaniolo or whatever, people have been told what the plan is. And it seems like there's agreement about what the long-term plan is. So I'll start with that. Um, the other thing I think is that, you know, I agree with Brandon that it's definitely true that how you would feel if you're Mourinho, if you're this guy who, you know, quite rightfully thinks of yourself as one of the better managers to have been working for the past 20 years, to lose 6-1 to a club like Bodo, um, yeah, you're going to be pretty pissed off right afterwards. And I think that you're probably going to say things that you would regret or, you know, want to tweak a little bit uh, a couple days later, regardless of whether or not the Friedkins told him, to, hey, hey, cool your jets a little bit. Um, given that, I think that this was a pretty, as good of a response as I could have imagined from Mourinho. Um, and... To be honest, though, I mean, like, I don't know. I saw a tweet saying that during at halftime when they were only down 2-1, uh, Mourinho told the players out there that they were playing worse than if they were playing in Serie Bay. And, you know, that's not wrong. <laughs> um, I, I think that if you're playing this poorly against the Norwegian side, you got to ask questions. And so, as I said before, I think that it's not going to cause problems in the locker room unless there are some truly weak mentality. So like the one player that I'm worried about after that is Gonzalo VR, just because he does not strike me as, you know, a strong mentality when it comes to, you know, being able to take the bad with the good of the life of a footballer. Like, I think he posted something on his Instagram story uh, before this match where he's like, Hey, I hadn't played in forever. And I'm going to work hard for this kit until I leave. But like the way he said until I leave made it seem like, yeah, I'm probably toast. So I don't know. I think that it could, I, I hope that certain players that I think have potential use it as incentive to, you know, really kick their training up another gear and make sure that that next opportunity they get, they do better. Um, because I don't think that the, those players were, are actually worse than like a Norwegian side. But I think that as Mourinho said, it was just a confluence of events that made it a 
hellish match to watch. Yeah, I'm sure individually, most of those guys probably start for a club like Bodo in the Norwegian League. But the the way everything came together on that particular night, they were all just bad on the same night. And I, I think you're right. I think he's trying to strengthen the mentalities a bit, get after certain players to hopefully push them to train harder and, and improve. Because I think he has to realize that there's no one coming in that door before January. And if anybody does come in that door in January, it's not going to replace eight, nine players. Um so hopefully the you know him backtracking a little bit takes a little of the pressure off the players. Uh, he did have another quote later on where I won't read the whole quote, but I'll read a paragraph from it because it shows that he's really I think wants to keep staying in the good graces of ownership and Pinto because I think he does believe in the project. Uh, he said we are building a squad, but we still need to build that squad in order to do that. We need more transfer windows and more money. The ownership who are making an incredible effort in order to improve the club at all levels needed to be respected for what they are doing. When people tell me that I have a problem with them, I have a problem with them. I respect them. And I think the Roma fans need to respect and believe in what they are doing. And they should not talk about me because I'm the coach and tomorrow there will be another one because that is how football is. But people like them and like Tiago need to be respected because they're building the future of the club. So I think Mourinho there also wants to put things in perspective for the, the fans and the media that, you know, Tiago Pinto's working hard. The Freakins are working hard, probably a lot harder than previous ownership had been doing to pour money into the club and try to build a long-term project. So, you know, hopefully him, you know, having these comments post-match, you know, kind of coats things over in case ownership did have any issues with what he said, but, you know, and, and hopefully he can weed out the weak-minded players and, and, you know, bring out the strength of some other players who, you know, everybody has a rough match. You know, we've seen Roma get handled with better players on the pitch than these by by bigger clubs. You know, the, Roma starting 11 in the Champions League got waxed a few times in our time as Romanisti. So uh, hopefully, you know, they can bounce back from it. And, and we did see some of it today. So anything you guys want to say on Boda before we move on to today's match? Or did we have enough uh, punishment for uh, the beginning of this episode? Yeah, let's move on to some better stuff, man. I'm happy to talk about something new. <laughs> I guess the only thing I would say just to close it out quick is that going off your point just now about, you know, finding out who's the weak minded players in the squad, which is, you know, kind of a perfect tie in into the Napoli game is, um, you know, Kambula, Reynolds, Yawada, VR and Mayoral all being sent to the stands. Um, and so I think, you know, he's already, he already, he already has made his mind up on who, who that is. Um, so I guess, you know, future windows to come we will probably see those guys no longer around yeah so i, I was going to get into that in the um background to this match so you know obviously roma coming off that 6-1 loss a lot of players uh put in as they say in italian a bruta figura they really had an awful performance and we talked about the harsh criticism of Mourinho and the five players mentioned by brandon were all sent to the stands not even dressed for this match max Kambula, brian reynolds diwara vr and myral so you know, Myrall is the third striker. You still have reserves for him. But when you send DOR and VR to the stands, you really only have Darboe as a backup midfielder, a young kid. You, and when you send Kambula to the stands, you only you don't have a backup center back with any experience because Chris Smalling is out injured. So I think he was really hammering home the point because it, he showed, I'll go with Brian Cristante or a Primavera kid in an emergency situation, which we almost saw happen because Mancini – uh, smacked into the post pretty hard at one point. So there was some fear that we would have either seen Cristante or Primavera kid in the, the match at center back, which could have been, who knows what would have happened with Osteman the way, you know, Osteman's been in such great form. 
And Mourinho kind of hinted that this would happen because he did mention at the end of his press conference that there were going to be uh, Filippo Missouri on the bench and another player who's like 17, 18 years old. So he kind of hinted that there'd be some new faces on the bench, I think, just to send that message. So we'll see how these players respond because Roma still has a busy schedule uh, while they remain in the Conference League in midweek Serie A matches. So uh, we'll see. But the good news in this one, and Mourinho confirmed that in his pre-match press conference as well, was that Nicolo Zaniolo was fit. It was the same starting 11 as the loss to Juve, a team that defended very well but just couldn't find a goal against Juve's low block. So it was Rui Patricio in goal, Matias Vigna at left back, Mancini and Ibanez as the center backs, Rick Carzorb at right back, the usual double pivot of Cristante and Vertu. And then you had Mkhitaryan, Pellegrini, and Zaniolo in support of Abraham. So I, I don't think any surprises here, huh, guys? No, not really. Um, I mean, I was a little bit surprised uh, at going back to what you're saying, that certain players were sent to the stance. Like, I, I was more surprised just given our lack of depth, for example, that Kumbola was sent to the stance. Um, but at the same time, I think that there's very little that Mourinho can do outside of that to send a message about how on thin ice some of these players might be. And do I expect to see it against Cagliari? Uh, no, I expect them to probably be back on the bench. But at the same time, even just having one match where it's like, look, you really messed up is probably smart. And as for that same starting 11, yeah, that, that fit. Because those are the guys that we know can actually, you know, put in good work. Yeah, any, any worries about the guys being sent to the uh, stands for you, Brandon? No, I mean, I guess... Maybe Diawara is probably the one that I would be worried about the most just because he seemed more like a, a piece that Mourinho was willing to use. Um, so, I mean, you know, to that point, though, he's probably one of the more likely candidates to be forgiven, quote unquote, for um, his performance last Thursday. But you also wonder what like moments like that um, due to the psyche. But, you know, going off what Jimmy said, if it's kind of like a one match thing. Um, I don't really have a problem with it overall. Yeah. And uh, we'll have to see because, you know, like we said, we'll see moving forward if these guys are still around in January. But I wouldn't be surprised if Myrall's loan gets cut short or VR gets shipped out somewhere to bring in another midfielder. Um, Kambula, you know, probably maybe the biggest disappointment in some ways because Mourinho was brought in as a defensive-minded coach. And, you know, we've seen Mancini and Ibanez at times look really good for Mourinho as they continue to grow under him. And, Kambula hasn't had the same trajectory, but just to give our listeners an idea of what the bench looked like for this match with those five in the stands, we had Carlos Perez, Ricardo Calafiori, Elder Shimordov. Then we had Eduardo Bove, Abrima Darboe, Filippo Missori, Nicolo Zaluski, Pietro Bower, Felix Afina, John, Filippo Trippi, Daniel Fizzato, and Stefano El Shawari. So if you think about how many of those guys were in the Primavera ranks less than a season ago, it, it really is outstanding. Roma was really playing with three, four veteran type players. And and the rest were young kids, you know, Calafiori, Bove, Darboe, Missouri, Zalewski, Boer, and John, and Trippi, all in the Primavera ranks about a year ago. So, you know, all like 20 and under type players. So depth was uh, <laughs> not there again for him, I guess you could say. But I don't think any of us expected many subs from, from Mourinho unless they were forced in this one. Uh, also leading up to the match, it's important to note Napoli was 8-0. and No losses, no draws heading in. Uh, best record in the top five leagues in Europe heading in. Only three goals conceded, which I believe Matteo Bonetti said during the, the telecast was tied with Chelsea for the best in Europe. Uh, only two teams ever started with nine straight wins to open a Serie A season. 
Napoli was looking to be the third, and they were coming off a 3 nothing win in the Europa League. I think it was against Legia Warsaw uh, on Thursday. They had to win that match late, but then ended up piling on three goals. So let's get into the match summary. This one maybe is a bit shorter than some of the others we've seen because it was a 0-0 draw, but I thought Roma started on the right foot. The first five, 10 minutes, I thought uh, they came out the right mentality. What about you, Brandon? Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's been a running theme of um, against the big teams. The, the season is they, they, they start well. Um, there's a, there's a level of intensity that's appropriate with um, the type of match that they're in. And, um, you know, going back to Mourinho's 11 for this match, I think, I think, you know, how they start, how they play in these games overall, even if the result doesn't go our way, it really, uh, it feels like we have uh, a Champions League caliber um, starting 11 in terms of qualifying. Um, and it starts like this and uh, patterns of play overall in the match um, that, that, that make you increasingly confident in that. And that, you know, we, we got a draw out of this one. And so that it gives you confidence going into Milan. And I think at some point the, the switch is going to flip and we're going to get the results against these big teams. Yeah, Jim, how important did you feel the first five, 10 minutes of the match were for Roma after that, the week that they had? Yeah, I definitely thought it was critical. I mean, one of the things that I noticed from the get-go in this match was that the offense in particular seemed to be clicking, even though it didn't necessarily translate to goals. Um, there were, I mean, I can look at the expected goal value of this uh, of this um, match. I believe we had, yeah, uh, a good, it was a pretty solid three chances I, I can remember and it didn't translate to an actual goal but I kept on seeing plays where I was like okay yeah that fits tactically I can see what you're doing there it makes sense and you know some days you just don't it just doesn't turn into a goal and I, I felt more like today was an instance where good offense didn't translate into a good goal not bad offense translating into no goals if that makes sense yeah there were some moments I think it was in the first 15 or so minutes that uh, Pellegrini tried to play in Abraham. I think it hit the back of his heel or something. It was a pretty good look. Uh, both teams created a couple chances early in the first 15 minutes, none on target though. Mourinho got his first yellow card in the 19th minute, which is uh, important because we'll revisit him later on. Uh, Napoli started growing into the match a bit as we probably expected they would. Uh, Roma's probably best chance came in the 28th minute when Tammy Abraham missed wide. It was a great ball from Cristante, played Abraham in. Uh, just a couple of minutes before that, Abraham had kind of gone down. We didn't know what, if it was, I would assume it was probably his ankle that he's been nursing for the past couple of weeks. Um, and I forget, I think it was Romani tried to slide, pulled up, didn't really get Abraham, but maybe forced Abraham to step a little different than he would have. And he missed the shot wide. And then again, Abraham went down um, and then he did stay in the match, but uh, kind of a funny sequence. He actually got a yellow card because he came back onto the pitch after the trainers visited him without approval from the referee. So not something you see every day, but a bit concerning when Abraham went down, because I said to myself, I don't know about you guys, like, can we ever finish a match with our starting 11 after what happened with Zaniolo last week against Juve? How concerned were you there, Jim? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty concerned. I'm going to knock on some wood right now, but, you know, every time someone goes down like that, I assume ACL tear these days after just following Roma for way too long. Uh, so I was pretty happy to see him, you know, not bounce up quickly, but, you know, bounce up and be able to play until I think it was like the 85th minute. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's obviously crucial. Even if he didn't score a goal today, he's crucial to our long-term plans, both for this season and beyond. So it's good to see him be able to be a little bit more, uh, 
uh, with uh, withstanding uh, some punishment uh, on a match-to-match basis. Yeah, I mean, Brandon, you have to give Tammy some credit, right? It, it seemed like he fought through that injury for much of the match. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, and uh, he's he's been going up against a murderer's row of center backs the last few games. Yeah. Um, the the quality there. So <laughs> hopefully, you know, after after this month, he he gets some. Um, weaker pairings of center backs to deal with but yeah credit to him i mean it's it's not it's you know it's very much in line with what he's shown us thus far with you know his work weight work rate willingness you know to to push through injury and um and you know just his general energy and it's kind of infectious and even you know him later in the match him hobbling around a little bit um he's still you know wait putting his hands up in the air um trying to pump up the crowd and um so yeah yeah you gotta give him a ton of credit for pushing through yeah you made a great point too about the center backs he's had to face the past two weeks i mean Kilini and bonucci last week and this weekend was romani and koulibaly and koulibaly is one of the best center backs in italy now for probably the fast, past five six years and that's a tough physical matchup and tammy was isolated for a lot of the match so it, you know i saw some people pinning some bl- blame on him during the match but to me it's hard to put blame on him with the way roma approached the match kind of playing him as the lone striker and having to deal with Koulibaly. It was a tough matchup. On the other side, you know, Victor Osiman has been one of the best strikers in Serie A all season. He started to show some frustration right before halftime, which kind of spoke to what Mancini and Ibanez were doing. And we'll revisit them later. It got a little bit chippy before halftime, but went to the half 0-0. Zero, zero. I'll just read off some quick stats before halftime. Roma had five shots, Napoli six. Only one shot for Napoli on target, none for Roma. Um, as the match, you know, wore on Napoli did start to gain control more possession. They had 57% possession of Roma's 43%, uh, but not much going on besides that Tammy chance. That was really the best chance of the half, uh, second half started. And then Napoli we saw was, was much stronger open the second half. I, I thought the first 10 minutes, they were really dominating possession and Roma really, uh, dodged a bullet. We'll say I, it was probably around the 60th minute or so. I don't have the exact time written down here because I was too busy watching the replay over and over of, of the aftermath, hoping Mancini wasn't hurt, but Poli Politano played a through ball to Oshiman. Uh, Mancini made a great block. Really. It was a, a double block. I think, cause he blocked the initial shot. It hit off Oshiman again and then hit Mancini again and, and ricocheted off the post. And then somehow fell to Mario Rui, who uh, his shot was blocked by Karsdorp went out for um, a corner kick, but Mancini crashed into the co- post. Ibanez got a bit of the post. I mean, the two of them really, that Mancini probably saves the match there, I think. What, what do you think, Jim? Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think this was a overall just a masterclass performance from both Mancini and Ibanez today, um, which to a certain extent just kind of <laughs> emphasizes how poor Kumbolo was against Bodo, that Mancini and Ibanez can be this good. Um, they've done a great job against basically every forward that, like every star forward that they've had to play in Serie A so far. I, I mean, this happened with Blavich too. Um, Oshimhen barely had chances. And like the one chance that I can remember him having was offsides. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that Ibanez gets a lot of the credit, uh, but I think both of them have really kicked up another gear so far this season. And it, it's really nice to have that young pairing at center back seem to be a very good long-lasting partnership in the works yeah uh brandon what'd you make of that play uh i was i was was terrified uh even watching the replays i was just like how did that not go in um and 
you know, as you were saying, it was kind of a car crash for Mancini and Ibanez with that post, um, which was rough to see. But, um, and it, 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 you know, it looks pretty bad. So, um, um, you know, thankfully Mancini's okay. But um, yeah, it was, it was a great, um, you know, it was a great defensive play. And I agree with everything Jimmy was saying about, you know, their performance and also how to ju- juxtapose against uh, Kambilo's performance. It's uh, kind of further highlights that one, but um, yeah, great game for them. And um, uh, you know, the, the last few games and in particular, the big ones, they've, they've really kind of stepped it up. Yeah. And uh, Roma finally started to respond after that. They got their first shot on goal in the 65th minute. Uh, turned out to be their only shot on goal in the end. But uh, they did create some chances. Pellegrini had an overhead kick that would have been, uh, you know, a, a great goal. If he scored that goal, it would have been a goal of the year. Ken, it was a ball over the top from Karsdorp. And, and he hit it on the volley from over his head. It would have been a really lovely goal, but it went wide. 66th minute, we saw El Shararian for Mkhitaryan. Uh, 71st minute was um, probably Roma's second best chance after the Tammy one. It was Mancini back post off of Pellegrini free kick. I think Zaniola drew the free kick. Pellegrini whipped it in. Mancini headed it just wide. Uh, and then 10 minutes later, Jose Mourinho got his second yellow card and eventually, obviously, the red for uh, screaming at the referee a bit. He was a bit unhappy about a play where Zaniola went down, I believe, didn't get the, 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 the call, no call at all. Um, so he was red carded. Luckily, not a player. Roma wasn't down numerically, but they were without their manager. We saw Eldorin for Tammy in the 85th minute. So Tammy, you know, sucked it up for 85 minutes on that ankle. And then uh, the next, the last really good chance for either side was Victor Osiman scored a goal in the 88th minute, but was clearly offside. It was the right call. They reviewed it on VAR. Wasn't even close. Um, so I'll go through some of the match stats for you guys. We can talk about some of the stats if anything jumps out at you, but. Uh, in terms of shots, 13-11 for Roma, but Napoli two shots to one on target. Nobody really threatened the keepers much. Possession in the end ended up favoring Napoli, 63-37. Um, so they completed almost 200 passes more than Roma with that, that advantage. And it, it, 87% accuracy to Roma was 80%. So uh, Napoli was digging the ball around a little bit, but it wasn't really the most dangerous passes. As, as the commentator referenced it, it was kind of death by a thousand paper cuts, but none of them really caught Roma really good anywhere where it hurt. Uh, Roma had four yellow cards uh, to Napoli's one. Offsides, six for Napoli. That was a lot of uh, Victor Osman trying to get himself in good positions and the defense really doing a good job of, of holding him, you know, and not giving up the, the line. Um, so, and then the XG, I'll give you Roma 1.5 to uh, Napoli's 0.87. So the XG favored Roma in this one and Roma had three big chances to none for Napoli. So any of those stats jump out to you, Brandon? Um, yeah, the, um, I guess, I guess just like the, the possession, it was a, a big one for me just because especially the last quarter of the match or so it really felt, you know, to me that Roma were forcing the issue and pushing for that goal and taking control of the game. So, um, I guess it's really just, uh, highlights how <laughs> prior to that point in the match, it, especially, you know, in the beginning of the second half, it kind of was all nap, uh, Napoli. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought they played well overall, um, all things considered. And, um, you know, especially the last 25 minutes or so, I really thought they were going to get that goal to win it at the end. Um, so, yeah, for me, that the percentage is probably the one that I pick out. Yeah, anything stand out to you, Jim? Yeah, I mean, I would just say that the combination of such a low possession percentage with 
the fact that they had the only big chances of the match is indicative to me both that, you know, it's nice to have a shoe on the other foot for once um, when it comes to, you know, Spalletti's style of play against other big clubs. Like, I feel like I've seen this in the inverse while Spalletti was at Roma several times. And it's nice to, you know, kind of be the club who's exploiting that side style of play a bit more. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, other than that goal that was ruled offside, I never was particularly worried about one of the best strikers in Serie A, which is nice. Um, and yeah, I, I've never felt in a match so far this season that there was a striker who was, you know, during the match making me like break out in a cold sweat. Um, even when Roma lost to Lazio, I wasn't that worried about Immobile on a regular basis. Which I, and I think that, you know, the way that Lazio won that match was more through fluke goals than anything else. So the fact that we're able to consistently frustrate some of the best strikers in Serie A is a really good omen for Roma's chances at getting Champions League football next season. Yeah, and just to throw in before we go to our commercial break, uh, Spalletti also got himself red carded after the, the final whistle. Maybe he felt like, you know, he was left out of the fun by Mourinho. He didn't want Mourinho to get all the spotlight. So we'll leave it there and we'll come back in, in just a minute from our commercial break. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so we're back. Uh, now we'll talk about some of the big talking points and look ahead a little bit to the, the week ahead for Roma. Um, yeah, and I'm going to go back to what you said, Jim, about frustrating strikers. I mean, Victor Osiman, quite a few times this match, looked visibly frustrated with Mancini, with the referee. Every time he was called offside, was rightly called offside, once in, in a goal-scoring position. Um, but I have to ask, was this the best defensive performance under Mourinho for you guys, especially for Mancini and Ibanez? Uh, I'll go to you first, Jim. Yeah, I definitely agree with that assessment. I think that overall we've been seeing some pretty solid individual defensive performances from either Mancini or Ibanez, depending on the night. But this was the first time where I really felt they were both working like at full throttle simultaneously. Um, and I mean, that that run of play that you described in detail before the break where, uh, you know, that through ball just causes absolute havoc and even Karsdorp gets in on some key defending just seemed like an indicator to me of how far this defense can go in the long term. And it didn't, as much as some of those things seemed like they might have been almost flukes that they stopped goals. That's kind of how you have to play to win. Um, you have to put yourself into, into the position for a, fluke defensive effort to actually stop the ball whereas you know if you just you know play normally you don't necessarily block all the shots that you could uh, so I'm pretty p 
pleased with the uh, defensive work today. And I think Matias Vigna also deserves a little bit of a shout out because a lot of people were very much looking forward to the moment that Spinazzola could would be returning. But I was very I think this was also his best match in a Roma kit so far this season. I think that he provided even more of a defensive, you know, calm combined with our offensive capability that we don't even see from Spinazzola often. Spinazzola is often so incredible on the offensive end that his relative average ability on the defensive side is, you know, okay. But Vina had the combination of defense and offense that you would love to see in a guy that hopefully should be acting as a super sub for Spinazzola when he comes back. Yeah, and before I go to you, Brandon, I'll just read out some of the stats because I thought Carzo also had a pretty good match. I thought the, the defensive four was, was solid all around. Uh, Mancini, one tackle, one interception, five clearances, two blocks, and three headers, one. Ibanez, four tackles, one interception, three clearances, and a block. Uh, Vina, three tackles, one interception, three clearances. Carsdorp, two tackles, three interceptions, one block. So, I mean, they as, as a foursome, they really stuffed the stat sheet defensively. Uh, what did you make of their performance, Brandon? I thought it was excellent. Um, I'm also inclined to agree that this is probably their best defensive performance of the season thus far. Um, I know we gave up a goal in the UVA game too. I also thought that was an excellent defensive performance um, just with how we limited their chances as well. But um, yeah, I mean, it it was great. I think it's, um, you know, it's probably a few factors, the big game atmosphere, wanting to make up for what happened Thursday. and just, you know, some of Mourinho's ideas and training uh, starting to take root and, you know, become habit for these guys. I think all of that combined um, kind of was like the perfect um, combination of events for the, the performance today. Um, so, you know, I, th- there's been instances in the season where we've given Vigne or Karsdorp or, um, you know, Mancini or Banya is a hard time for how they performed in a particular game. But I think, you know, based on the, the, this game, the Juve game, um, and the season overall, you could probably make an argument that, um, you know, the defense as a whole is pretty solid. And, um, you know, the, those games that we do get on them is, is just a one-off. And it, it's, it's refreshing because, you know, the last couple of seasons um, under Fonseca, I was never really confident in our defense. Maybe that one year with Smalling, um, but I think, we're, we're seeing, you know, that Mourinho defensive identity take shape. Yeah. And, and just backing up what you said that they've been pretty good overall this season, Roma's only conceded nine times in nine matches. And, you know, three of them were against Verona in a loss and three of them were against Lazio in a loss. So when you really take those two matches out, then you're looking at three goals conceded in their other seven matches. So not too shabby. Um, it seems like Mourinho's defensive solidity that we expected him to bring is starting to take shape, especially in these big matches, because the Lazio one was a bit disappointing, but Hard to argue against what they did against Juve. One one goal that they conceded, and then none against Napoli, who had coming into the weekend the second best attack in the league. Uh, now third because Milan had a big scoring weekend. But you know, you're talking about the team that was previously perfect, not even unbeaten. They didn't even draw a match heading into this. So a very solid performance. I mean, you look at the the numbers that uh, Osimhen has been putting up. Very very strong match from Roma. Uh, I, to me, Insigne was very quiet. I didn't remember him doing much. Um, Politano a little bit here and there, but they, they kind of kept everybody in check and Mourinho had something to say about that after the match. So he was asked if this was a good result in his opinion. He thought it was a great game. 
Uh, that's the feeling I got, although perhaps you saw it differently with the pressure surrounding the game. I got the feeling it was a quality contest. A 0-0 draw seems like a fair result to me, although it could have been one nothing to us, and we would have felt that was fair. And if it had finished one nothing to them, then they probably would have thought the same. It was a really tough game for both sides. I thought it was a high-quality contest where both sides showed great intensity and concentration. There wasn't fear there, but there was certainly respect. The defense worked really hard, and the other players did their part to close the spaces on the counter. I really thought it was a high-quality contest. And the, the uh, person who asked him the questions, the reporter said, defensively, you were almost perfect. What changed today? And he said, the two fullbacks are doing better. The give and take between Vertu and Cristante in the center of midfield was done really well, too. One of them always felt comfortable bringing the ball out because they knew the other was covering behind them. I'm going to pause there for a second because I thought the, this was probably the best performance I, in some ways for that combination, too. Um, a lot less gaps in the midfield, I thought. To me, Vertu played a bit more defensively from what I saw. It seemed like both sides were kind of erring on the side of caution for a bit. It didn't really open up till the 70th minute or so of the match. But, you know, Mourinho referenced that the counterattack of Napoli was pretty much kept in check. Um, credit to Ibanez, um, rather not Ibanez, Vertu and Cristante, huh, Brandon? Yeah, definitely. Especially, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we've, we've criticized them more, more than our fair share um, on this podcast <laughs> the last few episodes. So yeah, you, you definitely got to give them credit, and, and it's um you know it's it's funny that you note the 70th minute mark when the game started opening up a little bit more because it was around that time that I think Veritu took the ball forward at a point, and I realized that I hadn't really seen that from him for you know a, a good chunk of the game, um like at least not as much as he usually does. So um, it definitely speaks to him being more defensive than usual, but I think. Um, it's really reassuring to see that Mourinho, um, you know, can see that they're, that they're developing and, um, being, becoming more comfortable in that position and, uh, performing the way that he wants them to perform. So maybe there's not, I know, I'm, I know it's still probably a priority er- area, um, for the winter market, but, um, you know, we have a couple months to go until then. So you wonder if they can continue to grow to the point where maybe that's not such a pressing need. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that that'll still be a need in the market just because if DOR and VR really are maybe po- perhaps on their way out, then you're going to need another midfielder anyway. But this was encouraging because this wasn't them doing it against Salernitana or Empoli. This was them doing it against a top side, the top side in the league still, still top of the table, Napoli. And um, Jim, I know you and I both rate Cristante pretty highly. A lot of Romanisti give him a lot of flack, but I'm going to read his numbers from today. He had 59 touches completed 39 of 45 passes for an 87% uh, completion percentage, had the one big chance created on the ball over the top to Abraham. He was six of 10 on long bull, uh, long passes, uh, won seven of his 10 duels, two clearances, two tackles. So really an all around nice match for him. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. I mean, this was, I think the best comparison I could make to a, another player in Roma's recent history was like, this felt to me like a Kevin Stroatman, like prime era. Uh, performance from him there were so many times where it felt to me like he was just cleaning he figured out what his role was tactically in this Mourinho setup in this match Um, and I think that part of that as Brandon and you've already mentioned uh, comes down to I think Veritu playing a little bit more conservatively I think that it took a tiny bit of pressure off of him to make sure that he wasn't the only one in the double pivot really working to make sure the defensive integrity stayed. But just that little bit of difference really 
allowed him to play in a style that just was very pleasing to watch. Do I think that he's might even be better in like a attacking midfielder role kind of paired with Pellegrini? Yeah, because that's where he had his best season that, you know, warranted him being bought from Atlanta in the first place. But at the same time, if he's able to play like this, I agree that, you know, we'll probably still end up getting a midfielder, but he does seem like he's settling into being this particular role for Mourinho. Now we just have to hope that, you know, he his uh, ability to play multiple positions doesn't result in him getting a different role two weeks from now just because, you know, someone gets injured or Mourinho decides to change something up because he, he'll be willing to do it. But if he's able to stay at this role in this role in the double pivot, I think it'll be better for everyone involved. Yeah. The midfield battle was really important. It's so important that these two held their own. And, you know, I think part of it does come down to Vertu playing a little more defensively. I'm, I'm curious to see when the more advanced stats come out tomorrow in FB reference, because they're not out yet. It usually takes about 24 hours to compare like Vertu's, you know, how much he moved around the pitch progressively, if those kind of numbers are available, because he did feel like he didn't really attack too much until those last 20 minutes. He did provide three key passes. He did win a couple aerials and, you know, he played a, a good match too. And I think part of it is, I'm sure is part of learning the system and feeling each other out. You know, it takes time, especially in, in that position where you kind of have to play off each other. Cause if one goes, the other has to stay home. If the other goes then the other has to stay home. So I think, in the past couple of weeks, we've seen Brian Cristante three match, a uh, couple of matches, not get a yellow card, which was so big um, because he was really r- racking up those yellow cards. And now he's, you know, been available for Juve, played a great game against Napoli. You know, you hope he doesn't get a yellow card against Caliati because then he would be unavailable for Milan. So I don't know if Marina would even, you know, risk maybe playing Darboe and, and try to protecting him like he did before the Juve game. We'll see, but I, I think there's been a lot of growth there, and I think it's it's very important for for Roma when those two are playing well because you know, like we keep saying, nobody's coming until January besides the people that are on the the roster right now. Um, so encouraging in the back, encouraging in the midfield against strong players in both positions. I mean, um, Anguissa had a very strong match for Napoli, so it wasn't like those two dominated the match, but they held their own and they didn't, they didn't let Napoli really run them over at like we've seen other teams do which was very important. Um, a couple other comments from Mourinho. He said, obviously in this game, considering how Napoli liked to play, it was important that Zaniola and Mkhitaryan closed down the spaces. And they did that today. Today, because of the way Fabian Ruiz plays and how important he is to their attacking rhythm, we had Pellegrini drop a bit deeper. And rather than a 4-4-2 out of possession, Abraham plays centrally, leaving the defenders to take the ball into midfield where we weren't pressing. It was a really intense game and there are a few tired players in there, but it is a tiredness I like because it means they've worked hard. And uh, that was something I noticed, too. I noticed that Roma wasn't really pressing high, and uh, Mourinho admitted that was on purpose. They let the Napoli center backs bring the ball up. They're not the most uh, attack-minded center back, so I guess it was done intentionally, and they didn't want Ruiz to really uh, boss the match. So, And that plan worked, too. He also mentioned that the game had a lot of transitions in it. They tried to play really directly through Osiman and then bring others into play around him. When we, when we dropped a bit deeper, then Insigne started to play in central areas, and that was when it became important for Vertu and Cristante to close down that space. It was a tough game. They had their chances, and so did we, and perhaps it was a unique game too. Both coaches sent off. He threw in the little uh, just at the end there. But, I mean, thank I, I love these little breakdowns Mourinho gives us because it saves us a lot of uh, film watching because once he starts to say them, you kind of notice these things in the course of the match. I mean, um, 
we, he talked about Osiman and then Insignia. We talked about Insignia being anonymous, so I guess that has a lot to do with the midfield double pivot, like we mentioned. Um, any other players you guys want to give a shout out to in this match that stood out besides the midfield and the uh, defense? Personally, I was happy with what I saw from Zaniolo today. Um, again, it was one of those matches where some people might say like, oh, but he didn't score a goal. Yeah, well, no one scored a goal in this match. Um, so given that, I really felt like the center of gravity once again shifted when he was given the ball. And you could tell that despite Napoli obviously planning for him, he had a lot in his you know bag of tricks to try to make something happen on that flank. And more than scoring goals, that's kind of what I need to see from him to feel confident that he'll be able to get back to like peak form in the near future. Like if he was scoring easy goals or something like that, but he wasn't looking as creative or, you know, as involved on the flank, I might even be a little more worried. But the way that he's been playing against Lazio, against Empoli, and against um, Napoli today, I mean, Juve doesn't count because, you know, he got injured. But uh, I would say that was a really good step forward for him. And again, I think we were saying this about the offense in particular, but like the goals will come if they play like this more generally. And I think the goals will come for him specifically if he keeps on playing like this. Yeah, I, th I thought he had a pretty good match. And considering he played 90 minutes coming off the uh, injury last week was, was even more important for Roma, showing that he was fully fit. And I, I thought he, what he did was important because uh, my buddy texted me during the match. He only watched him in the second half. And he was saying, oh, you know, Zaniolo, why doesn't he dribble at three players again? I said, well, he's the only guy with balls on the team to dribble at anybody really for much of the, the match. And, and I thought it was important. There was one play in the first half where he just completely bodied Mario Rui, I, if it wasn't for Koulibaly, he'd, he'd have some dangerous chances he would have created. But Koulibaly being Koulibaly kind of snuffed him out after Rui was beat a few times. But he had five dribbles, drew four fouls. You know, he did have four unsuccessful touches, but he was heavily involved in the buildup when Roma did try to break out. And he also had four interceptions defensively. So I was encouraged by what I saw from him. What, who I wasn't encouraged from, by was the man on the opposite flank for Roma in the attack. And that was Mkhitaryan. I thought Mkhitaryan had a very poor match. Uh, I was... You know, the, I didn't put out many tweets saved in the match. One I did put out was like, it's time for McTarion to come out around the 16th minute. And he was off about three minutes later, but I was very disappointed in him. Uh, what about you, uh, Brandon? Yeah, I don't, I think the performance was, you know, disappointing and not up to the standard that we expect. But I wouldn't say that, you know, I'm disappointed so much in that, you know, I, these guys have their off games, I think. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like Mkhitaryan's had, you know, a level of performance the last few games that, you know, hasn't been great, hasn't been terrible, kind of middle of the road. Um, and, um, you know, and I, but I feel like at the same time, it, it uh, leaned more towards, you know, consistent bad performances, if that makes sense. Um and, 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 you know, so I guess, you know, it kind of speaks towards a larger trend where maybe, um, you know, Mourinho starts thinking about giving El Shirari a starter two on that left-hand side. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, he is one of your most experienced players and you are fielding a team filled with young players. And, um, you know, it's, I think there, there's a trade-off there where you, where you um, maybe take, a little less output for a little more leadership, especially when you have this, um, this amount of young players on the field. 
Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts on him, Jim? Um, I feel like I need a little more time to say, honestly, I, I mean, like on the one hand, I agree that it's good to have some experience on the field. We do have a very young squad right now, but at the same time, it was frustrating to see things kind of fall apart uh, whenever he got the ball in this match. Like I, I, I know it wasn't, he wasn't the only reason why this was a scoreless draw. Don't get me wrong. But I do wonder if El Sharawi had like started and gotten the full 90, if more might have happened. That's kind of my take on it. Like I, I, I think that he's still just a guaranteed starter. Um, but I do wish that he was able to make more happen this time. Yeah, Mkhitaryan was quite offensively. So we'll see if, you know, El Shari starts to get more looks because El Shari could create his own shot. You know, I, I get Mkhitaryan offers the work rate defensively, which is something Marino referenced uh, in being key to shutting down Napoli. So it's kind of a give and take. But, you know, we got so accustomed to Mkhitaryan really lighting things up. Uh, you know, he had that like 13 goal, 11 assist season under Fonseca. Uh, you expect a little bit more offensively in these big matches. So hopefully if he does get the start against Milan, he comes to play a little bit more offensively. Uh, so we will look ahead. So what does this result mean moving forward to you? Uh, you know, it's not a win but it's not a loss either. And it was a pretty solid performance. So where do you think this takes Roma now after all that they went through this past weekend, Jim, or this past week rather? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I really want said that I mentioned in the pre-match uh, article that I wrote was that I really want to see a Roma that can actually, you know, get up after one of these losses. And I think that they did. Uh, I think that they, first of all, it helps that, you know, it's basically a completely new squad facing Napoli, but at the same time, Mentally, you know, they play for Roma and Roma just got shellacked um, by some no-name Norwegian team. And so the fact that they were able to pick up the pieces, Mourinho was able to pick up the pieces and say, okay, we're still going to bring it to the only club that was left in all of Europe that was undefeated. Uh, And they did it and they got the point. Like, I'm pretty happy with that. And would I have loved the win? Do I think a win was feasible? Like Mourinho said, yeah, I do think that a 1-0 win could have happened there. Uh, but at the same time, I do think that there's a lot of positives to take from this match. And it could be, I think that if there had been a, if there had been a loss, even an unlucky loss, it would have done a lot of negative damage for the team's mentality going forward. Whereas this draw, I think everyone can be proud of the effort that was put in. And I think that particularly if the next two matches go well, it could be the start of, you know, some pretty good form. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and I'll just before I go to Brandon, I'm going to read a little quote from Zaniolo after the match. You know, he referenced that he thought that, you know, Roma responded well. He said, you know, they, they lacked a, just the goal. Uh, it was a, a great performance otherwise. And, you know, he said it, they, in Italian, they say cattiveria underneath the, the goal. Like they just lacked that little bit of a uh, killer instinct, I guess you could say. Under goal, he said, you know, Napoli also ate one or two goals, but uh, it was a good game. It was an evenly played game between two great teams, you know, two big teams. And he said they're happy about the reaction they had after the, the loss to Bodo. And this is the Strada Justa. He said that this is the right path. So do you agree, Brandon? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, uh, just to go back to what Jimmy was saying a little bit too, um, it's, it's, a, it's a different team from the Thursday results, but... Um, 
you know, this is also the, the team that lost to U of A um, the previous Sunday. And um, they also had the, you know, the, the pressure on their shoulders for a game, for a game they didn't even play in. And um, to, to um, you know, to get this draw um, and going back to, um, you know, our, our podcast previewing th- this three-match stretch against these big clubs, um, you know, I said, I said it and um, I think you guys, you know, kind of agreed with me um, that at minimum, like a draw and a win was, you know, uh, what what we should get out of this stretch and um we're on course for that still despite you know having lost that one having the six one um loss you know obviously that's in the conference league but um a lot of gloom and doom associated with um the past week or so but it's still you know all all to play for um you get six points and the next two matches you're at minimum still going to be in fourth place um so yeah, I, I I agree. You know, with the comments and the the team is definitely going on the right track. I think overall. Yeah, I think you made a couple of great points. Especially this was the same eleven that faced UVA and lost, so they had that pressure on them to rebound from. But then they also had the pressure of a performance most of them didn't even play in. You know, some of the starters were involved in the second half later on and have to take a little bit of a, the culpability for the fifth six goals. But uh, they responded well, and this is what we want to see from Mourinho's Roma. We don't want to see the team that capitulates the next match because they had a poor match the one before and you know the snowball effect that we saw under Fonseca last February and January where that things just went completely off the rails this was a good way to bounce back you know always nicer to win always nicer to get three points but like you said if they can find a way against Milan then the four points that we had hoped they would get out of these three matches would be there uh, hopefully with a win against Cagliari as well because that match is first on Wednesday trips to Cagliari are never easy uh, we know this. We've seen some crazy things happen over there on uh, <laughs> against the Sardinians. Uh, I think it was like three years ago now or so when they played that match and they were up two men. And then, you know, Cali found it, found a way to to tie that match and then win that match. I, I remember that match vividly because I was at the floors prior to my wedding and I was pissed I was missing the match. And then I was even more pissed when I found out the way they lost the match. We hope that doesn't happen this week, but looking ahead at Cali, who is right now is in the relegation zone on six points, um, 18th place. Roma still sits fourth because a lot of results kind of went their way this week, so to speak. Actually, Milan had the best weekend of everybody because Milan found a way to win their match late against Bologna. That was a crazy match at the end from the highlights I saw, but uh, the Derby d'Italia today ended 1-1 between Inter and Juve. Um, not, uh, Atalanta blew a lead late, very late in stoppage time against Udinese, so a uh, an unlikely draw happened there, and Lazio got smacked around by Hellas Verona. That feels good to say. 4-1. It was a Simeone, not even a hat trick. He had four goals in the match, so he had more than a hat trick. Um, so that leaves Roma fourth, sitting uh, one point ahead of Atalanta, Juve, Fiorentina, two points ahead of Lazio, and just two behind Inter in third place. So, I mean, you expect Roma to, if they come out with the same intensity, and actually, I, I made a mistake, Calidi's 19th based on goal differential. So, what do you think and head into this Cali match? Do we see a couple changes to the starting 11 with Milan looming Sunday? Um, what do you think in Jim? I could see Shamuradov coming in. I could see Sharawi, El Sharawi coming in. Uh, I could see, hmm. you know, that's probably about it. Because <laughs> uh, as Mourinho has basically shown, he's got 13 guys. Um, I, I mean, Calafiori maybe. 
because uh, Calafiori, I mean, I mean, I think everybody knows that Calafiori is a long-term piece in a way that the guys who were the other guys who were playing against Bodo just weren't. Um, like he's he's been predestinato from from day one practically. So uh, I would say that I could see those three coming in, uh, and you know, Calafiori has looked pretty good other than that Bodo match. So I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him coming. Yeah, what are you looking for on Wednesday, Brandon? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think there'll be a ton of rotation. I think um, a Mourinho probably, you know, wants some consistent form in the league, so more inclined to stick with close to the same eleven. And then I think he still will be out to prove a point regarding the players that really are on his naughty list following um, the Bodo result. So I, yeah, I agree with Jimmy. I think um, Shamurdov and El Sharari, you know, I could easily see them coming in. Um, going back to what you were saying, you were talking about earlier um, with Crisante and his yellow card situation. I think maybe Darboe could get in um, to just, you know, make sure you have Crisante for the Milan game. But um, yeah, overall, I think, I think we'll generally have the, the same 11 otherwise. Um, and I, I, I totally expect them to come out with like a similar intensity as they have, um, you know, the last couple of matches. So I'm not going to predict anything because we all know <laughs> we all learned our lesson after last week, but I think um, the, the, the structure of the team won't be much different. Yeah, I agree. I think if we see, I, I would expect maybe Tammy to be rested, give his ankle some time before Sunday. You don't want to push it too hard and, and lose him for Milan. I think obviously everybody knows that that is the more important matchup. This could be a chance for Eldor to start because, you know, he's been getting five, 10 minutes at a time. He needs a little more playing time, I think, to really find his stride as well. Um, you know, maybe El Shari, maybe Darboe, but other than that, or e- even less Calafiori, I don't think we see any of the changes. We saw <laughs> what Mourinho thinks of his, you know, guys after the 13th man, so to speak. You know, they talk about the 12th man in football. Well, after our 13th man here in, in, in Rome, we don't have much going on, according to Mourinho, at least. So, um, you know, just a little background, Cality has allowed 20 goals so far in nine matches. They've only won one match. So this is a match that you expect that if Roma comes out with the intensity they came out today, uh, you know, they're, they're really going for it. I think they not going to make a prediction because we know how my predictions have gone this year, but they should get the result that they want. And it would be important for them because they do sit fourth in the table still, like I'd mentioned, and there aren't really any big head to heads this midweek match. Um, you know, the teams around them, Atalanta plays at Sampdoria. Sampdoria has them in the same Side this year as they, we've seen in other seasons. Juve hosts Sassuolo. Sassuolo has a you know interesting record where they might be able to peg a goal or two against Juve, but Juve is really starting to play Allegri ball, so who knows how that goes. Inter is at Empoli. Napoli hosts Bologna, uh, and Milan hosts Torino. You know, so outside of Lazio against Fiorentina head-to-head, you know, it could be a lot of teams picking up three points around Roma, so they, they really will need a result, um, especially in the build-up to the Milan match. I think a confidence from a three-point match would go a long way for them. We won't talk long about Milan just because it's it's a week out and there's a match in between. But would you make any changes to the starting eleven if you were Mourinho heading into that Milan match, uh, Brandon? No. Uh, even if um, you play the majority of your starting eleven in midweek, also I wouldn't change anything, barring um, you know injury, obviously. Um, but the the I think I think both the UV match and the Napoli match have shown that um, his preferred 11 is building towards something. And I see no reason to, to change that in any way. Um, 
if everybody's fit and healthy. Yeah, what about you, Jim? Would you make any changes heading into that Milan match? Obviously, depending on what happens against Cagliari. Yeah, I mean, I think that if... It's so hard to say now because, I mean, I'm normally a bring-in rotation, give players a chance, but this past week has made it pretty hard to hold that stance, uh, at least for the moment. So I, I, I can't really say. Um, uh, I, I guess some rotation would probably be helpful. Uh, but at the same time, I would understand why Mourinho might just ride or die with these, this starting 11 for a while. Yeah, the only place I would possibly consider making a change to the 11 if everybody's fit and there's no yellow cards to anybody heading into Sunday would possibly be El Shirari for Mkhitaryan. If El Shirari plays Thursday and has like a goal or and has some confidence heading in, maybe you make that change to create a little more offense against Milan. But other than that, I don't think I would go with anything either. I don't think Mourinho will, based on his track record and what he said about the side. Um, Milan will be an interesting matchup. You know, Ibrahimovic is back at striker. So Mancini and Ibanez will be up against it again. You know, they did well against Osman today. Ibra's a whole nother, uh, you know, guy. We know he's 40 years old now, but he still can do it. You know, so that'll be an interesting matchup. Uh, the midfield could be interesting because Milan has some strength there with Benacer and Tonali playing well lately. They also have um, Kessier's been out. I don't know if he'll be fit to play. Uh, I know Teo Hernandez has missed out with COVID recently, so who knows if he'll be back. You know, Milan could have some key absences. Um you know, uh, Mike Magnan is, is out. We talked about that last time. He's confirmed out for like oh, a couple months now. So, you know, what I really want to see Roma do in that match is really put some shots on net, make Tataransu make some saves. You know, this is a, a, a serviceable backup. He's no more than that. So if you make him have to make saves sooner or later, I think something will go in. And I think it'll be a big match for Tammy. He'll be going up against his ex-Chelsea teammate, Tamori, who's been kind of a revelation at Milan and, and Kyer. So another tough matchup of center backs maybe not to the level of Juve or Napoli center backs, but I, I think the two matchups I'm really looking at are the striker for each side against the opposing center backs in that matchup, along with that midfield matchup. Um, anything jump out to you in terms of like any players you're looking at um, head to head there in that match, Jim? Yeah. I mean, I, have not had a chance to watch too much of him of Milan yet this season or Cagliari. Uh, so I've, I've been kind of, kind of, kind of been swamped with a lot of uh, job application stuff beyond my uh, AS Roma duties. But beyond that, um, I have to say, I do think if Kessier gets time, I, I know he's an incredible player. Um, and, you know, Ibrahimovic seems to be exist just like keeping on, Hit, hitting the goals like I think he got his now the fourth oldest goal scorer in Serie A history uh after his most recent one uh so yeah I mean there are no slouches uh I would expect to see them in the Champions League spots at the end of the season um and I think it'll be a fun match at the very least uh I, I I'm sorry I can't offer more of a prediction beyond that yeah any, any match if you're looking at Brandon um, I, I'm, I'm curious as to see how Zaniolo is going to perform, um, especially if he also plays midweek, just because he had that injury scare against Juve, played the full 90 um, today, and you'd imagine he probably puts in a shift midweek as well. So if he's playing, I'm curious as to, um, as to how he performs, particularly because he's just looked due to break out in one of these big games as we keep talking about and as we keep 
trying to predict um, when that'll come. So I'm curious about, you know, his matchup and how he'll do, um, you know, specifically with his fatigue, but um, yeah, it's, 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 I don't know. It's Milan's still a team that doesn't scare me when we go up against them. I know they're much improved from seasons past or, you know, two or three seasons uh, much improved from what the, the mess that was beforehand, but um, I still think this is probably it to me in this three game stretch, this was always going to be um, what I thought was the most winnable game of the three. And um, you know, ba- based on how we've done in the last two of the, the big ones, I, I have no reason to think why um, to think that we can't do it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because obviously Milan is much improved, you know, Stefano Pioli was always thought of as a guy who, wasn't really much of a winner and he's been doing a lot of winning since he got to Milan, no trophies yet, but you know, they seem poised to make a run with Scudetto again this year and might have the easiest path if they crash out of the champions league in last of their group, the way they are. Um, but it's funny because on paper, they don't scare you the way some of these other teams do, but they just keep finding ways to win. I mean, yesterday's match, they were up to nothing up a man gave up two goals time tie game. And then Soriano got a red card for, um, Bologna, and then they found a way to get two more goals late. Uh, one was Benacer scored a really nice goal from what I read. And then they got it. They tacked on a fourth late, but it's like, they just keep finding ways to win. And, you know, hopefully Roma can combat that. Uh, I'm looking right now at Gazette Dello sport, you know, for their probables for the midweek. And it looks like Teo Hernandez will be recovered from COVID in, ter- in, mat- in time for the Torino match. You would think he might start for the Roma match. It looks like Kessier, it will also be recovered. Rebic is a doubt for midweek, so he could be out. Um, so th- there's some there's some guys after them, including Alessandro Florenzi. We won't get to see him in a Milan jersey for the first time against Roma. Um, and Magnan is out. So we'll keep an eye on those things later in the week when we get to you know the match previews and things like that. But um, we'll see. It's a big week for Roma. I mean, we we keep saying this, but it everyone seems to be like a big big week for Roma when you're so tight. The standings are so tight. You know, you got five. I think five teams, six teams separated by three points in the table right now between Inter and third and, and uh, Lazio in like eighth place. So it's going to be tight every match, especially these ones against the big, big teams are big. You know, if Roma goes out and beats Milan, they're only six behind them. And there's a lot of season left, you know, if they end up in a battle with them for third place or second, fourth place or something like that. So um, just before we, we go, Jim, I have to say, you know, I know you like to reference Calafiori, Zaluski and some of your, uh, in your previews, I don't know how much of that you'll be able to do anymore after what happened at Bodo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tough, man. Just cause like, I, I don't know. I, I, I agree with Mourinho that we don't have much depth at the moment. Like I, I could have told you that before Bodo and I can tell you even more now. Um, it's just that for a club with Roma's finances, I feel that the only real solution to that is to, you know, take a chance every now and then on some young players and say, Hey, this is your shot. Um, and obviously I think Mourinho kind of did that against Bodo, but he himself admitted that it was just the perfect storm of a lot of terrible things happening at once. Uh, and, um, but unfortunately I don't think that's going to matter too much when it comes to letting young kids play again for the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, I should have labeled my probable formations on Saturday has confirmed formation because he had already pretty much given away the, the 11. So I told Brent, I said, I don't know if he keeps this up. I might not be having a, a piece every week, but um, Brent, anything you want to leave the listeners with? 
Uh, no, I just um, hope in the midweek that um, if he, if he starts, I, I I don't I don't keep up with Kaigiri, so I don't <laughs> I don't know how much he's been playing. But I hope I hope it's not the Kevin Strootman revenge game because um, he he's playing with them currently. Um, so we'll we'll see about that one. <laughs> Yeah, good point. We'll get to see an old friend there in, in Strootman. Hopefully, uh, Jao Pedro doesn't kill us because he tends to be a killer of big teams at times. But, you know, we'll leave you guys with that. Hopefully, when we come back to record next week, it'll be after two Roma victories and we'll be looking stronger in the table. So thanks again for listening and uh, be sure to subscribe and, and give us a like on all your major podcast platforms. Mm-hmm.